Welcome back. In this episode of The Weekly Hustle, I'm going to be answering your questions. I'm going to be talking about unsupportive friends and family. I'm going to be talking about transitioning from community to hospital pharmacy without a residency. And I'm going to teach you how to become a high ticket closer without any expensive high ticket program. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back. I'm Kevin. If you're new to Weekly Hustle, this is a weekly series, my podcast, where I essentially do two things. I help share cool people, processes, tools, ideas for entrepreneurial hustlers who want to be great, not just good, but great and focus on mastery. I also document my process of hitting my personal goal of $10 million. $10 million, if you're wondering where I got it from, essentially that's 100K per year. So I think me and my family would be pretty set on that. Uh, for the next hundred years. Anyways, normally I would kind of document my week, tell you how I've been doing, but recently I've been getting an influx of a lot of emails, a lot of questions. So I thought it'd be more valuable to you guys to just answer your questions. At the end of the day, I just want to make this as valuable as possible to my listeners, viewers, and all that. So if you want to shoot me a question, just shoot me a question at subscribers at refugeehustle.com. And also if you want to stay tuned, have a more personal connection, I'd love for you to go to refugeehustle.com slash join just so that I can send you my best articles, best tips, and all the show notes that I typically do on here. Anyways, this week you asked me three questions, how to deal with unsupportive friends and family, how to transition from community to hospital pharmacy without a residency, and how to become a high ticket closer without money. So let's kind of dive into it. Before that, I want to give a quick shout out to one of my comments, Andy Liao. He said he watched my Japanese fruits video and he was like, hey, really instructive video and explain clearly. I need to do more research on this, but I am wondering if this can be tied to vending machines, which is the opposite of direction that five figure fruits are targeting. Why in a market of intimacy valued, uh, the vending machines are so prevalent. Thanks. Well, I didn't mean to do a Q&A on this, but short answer is basically, honestly, there's a market for low ticket items, high ticket premium items. The most important thing is listen to the market and they will tell you what they want. So appreciate you. If you guys want to be featured, feel free to leave a comment as well. And I'll shout your comment out in the next video. So topic number one, how do you deal with unsupported friends and family? So have you ever had this amazing business idea or amazing goal that means a lot to you. You pour your blood, sweat, and tears in it, and years in it as well. But on the back end, you have unsupportive friends and family. You know, I remember back when my father passed away, I actually made the decision to leave pharmacy to start up an online business. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what type of online business, maybe it was gonna be in the course space or something, but I knew that I was just so unhappy with pharmacy. In fact, I spent 12 years in pharmacy and I was just tired of the BS. People always said, hey, it'll get better, it'll get better. But in fact, it got worse and worse every single year. And so most importantly, during that time, I was going on interviews with different pharmacy companies. I even landed one of my dream jobs in pharmacy. But when I was in the interview, I just wasn't happy. It just didn't feel right. And I, at that point, I was ready to make a change. I remember during that time, a few people actually messaged me to just like, Hey, Kevin, quit the online business space, quit starting your own business. And I remember getting comments like saying, Hey, you're making a huge mistake. You need to go back to pharmacy for something more stable. And the truth is when people ask you these things or tell you these things, they're not in your situation. They don't understand. They're not the ones that are paying for those consequences, right? 
of those decisions. So as someone who has been through it, family is even tougher, right? You might even have questions like, hey, if you have unsupportive friends or family, do you stop talking to them? Do you sit them down? How do you deal with it? And actually, recently, one of my readers, David, wanted to start a career in digital marketing, but he was struggling with dealing with his unsupported best friend. And I kind of want to read out this email that he sent me. Hi, Kevin. How do I deal with toxic friends? Some days ago, I told my best friend that I'm taking an online SEO course so I could hopefully land a digital marketing job. And she laughed at me and told me that I'm immature for thinking that I'm able to land a skilled, well-paying job without a degree, just taking a cheap online course. She said things like be real, grow up and shit like that. I felt offended. We argued. This really pissed me off so much. What should I do? Should I stop talking to her anymore? And David, I totally feel your pain. But before we dive into the answer, quick pause. I want to ask you guys watching this video, go below in the comments. What do you think David should do? I would love to kind of hear your comments below. And if there's any insightful comments, I'll shout them out in the next video. But back to the answer. Here's the truth. It's not easy dealing with any sort of criticism, especially if it's from your friends and family, especially if they don't believe in you. And trust me, I have a lot of friends. I had a lot of friends that probably still don't believe in me, still probably think I'm crazy. But what do you do? And let's take a step back because, you know, if it was an easy conversation, we probably would have had it. So what, first of all, what makes this conversation so difficult? And the truth is, this isn't an anonymous troll that is criticizing you. You're not getting dislike bot through YouTube or whatever. It's someone who you actually care about. And in your case, David, it's your best friend. So how do you go ahead having this conversation? So there's pretty much three things that you need to figure out. One, do you even want to have this conversation? Second thing, if you do have the conversation, what is the objective or what, what do you want out of this conversation? And three, if you're going to have the conversation, how do you actually have it? How do you position yourself where you're not coming off as like, super sensitive, but also, you know, enrich the relationship as well. So let's break each one of these down. All right. So first thing, do you even want to have this conversation? So there's really essentially two options. You could just say nothing, fire a friend, move on, find new friends. That's one way to go about it. But the second thing that you can do is talk to your friend. And my personal recommendation is always talk to your friend. Why would I suggest that? Why would I suggest go the harder route? Because here's the truth. Difficult conversations builds character, it builds grit. It actually forces you to be a better business owner or better, in your case, a freelancer or better with clients as well. And your everyday relationship, it forces you to become a better listener, build thicker skin and demonstrate to your friend that you actually care about your friendship. It shows by, by risking it all, it actually invests, like it shows that you're willing to invest the time to fix any problems that you have, right? Because if you didn't care, then you just walk away. But chances are, David, you probably do care. But despite the benefits, it's still hard, right? So the truth is conflict management and communication is tough, especially with friends. And if you don't position the conversation right, you could actually lose and ruin relationships. You know, in my past, I've actually had best friends and I've had natural falling outs with them. It happens from time to time as well. But obviously through those conversations, I, I learned how to have better conversations going forward. 
But obviously, David, it's your choice. I would highly recommend if you're trying to go to the digital marketing realm, whether it's working for a company, your company is technically your client, if you think about it, right? So whether you want to work with clients or maybe even start your own businesses, difficult conversations are a natural part and essential part of doing business. You need to learn how to set boundaries as well. Second thing, what do you want out of this conversation or what do you want from this conversation? Before you start any conversation, you need to know exactly what you want from it. So what do you want, David? What do you want out of this conversation? The truth is, if your goal is really to focus on turning your best friend into a raving fan, your biggest supporter, or to change your mind, that's going to be very, very difficult to do. Not impossible, but very difficult to do. Because the truth is, you can't force people to support you. Uh, my recommendation for you, the goal should be really to understand their perspective and set boundaries for your friendship by communicating how you felt about what they said, right? And most importantly, in order to do that, you need to understand where they're coming from. Notice that that goal, right, is not based, it's a, it's a, I think it's an internal locus of control in psychology, meaning like the responsibility falls on you. These are things that you can control, not external factors as well. So, like I said, the key is to choose things that you control, not them. So, in an ideal world, what we're looking for, I mean, we're looking for unconditional support. You're looking for that down-ass homie, that ride-or-die friend that will always be there. But the truth is, this is life. And if your friends can't provide it, then it's our responsibility to look somewhere else and let our friends be our friends. And the truth is, like for myself, I have, I have a lot of different friends. I have friends who are not interested in business whatsoever, but we get along. Right. Uh, you might have seen her in some of my videos, but like Sylvia, for example, right? We have nothing in common. She's not business related, but we just enjoy each other's company. Same with uh, a lot of different friends. Even though most of my friends these days are more entrepreneurial like as well, like my new friends, don't forget, it's not, you're not given like a set amount of friends in your lifetime. Your friendships will grow, they will change. And honestly, for the better. And I, I feel like my friendships as I get older, because I'm 32 right now, They've gotten better over the years and also realize just because someone doesn't agree or support your view doesn't make them a toxic friend maybe the delivery is off and stuff but that doesn't always necessarily make them a toxic friend as well um so just be careful about using that word sometimes i know some people are so easy to label like toxic people right but we gotta separate the person from their actual actions maybe in that moment they said some fucked up shit I mean, that doesn't make them a toxic friend. But anyways, just to recap what I was saying, as someone who has a variety of friends, the truth is your friendships will shift as your goals shift, right? Second thing is that some friends, like I said, will be your business friends. Others, you'll just enjoy your company. There's nothing wrong with that. And the third thing is not all your friends will have the same views as you, as you do, right? So basically what I'm saying is identify what you want from this conversation and what i'm suggesting is just take a step back understand where they're coming from and then also communicate how you feel as well and what you want going forward to kind of set that boundary and which leads me to the next point is how do you actually have this difficult conversation so now that you know what you want how do you have this conversation so it's all about understanding where they're coming first or where they're coming from feeling them out, getting them, getting to understand their perspective. There's a book called Never Split the Difference. This is one of my favorite books. And it talks about 
using something called tactical empathy, where in order to influence or in order to understand to have an effective conversation, you need to use something called tactical empathy. So you need to understand where they're coming from, feeling them out, and getting them to understand your perspective by listening to them first. So here's a step-by-step of, I guess the step-by-step script of how to have the conversation. I will have the show notes in the link below as well on the Refugee Hustle website. But this is a eight-step, eight, eight-step uh, way to kind of have the conversation. So the first thing that you're going to be doing is start off the conversation. Be like, hey, hey, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I just have something to get off my chest. Is that okay with you? Do you have a chance to talk? right? So preferably what you don't want to do is chat via text. I mean, I made this mistake. Sometimes the other person won't want to get in, like talk to you face to face or on the phone or video chat, right? Like the, you want to be in person or on video chat or like something, or even telephones better than text, because at least you can understand the tonality, right? You can say, there's this thing that we have in, uh, in the U.S., which we call sarcasm, right? Like you can say something with a total different tonality and it can mean a different thing. So what you want to do is understand, it'll give you a better understanding. And, there, you know, if you're, dude, we all, we're all in the age of smartphones. We, we've all sent those texts where there was miscommunication. So there's that, right? We want to eliminate that out the door. Second thing uh, I would recommend is like once you get them in person available chat call it the elephant in the room so one of the ways that i like to do it is like so we had the argument a few days ago about the whole seo course and digital marketing course and honestly it's just really been bothering me since i really do care about our friendship right so you're kind of calling out the elephant in a room kind of like almost you know letting them know that this has been bothering you too third thing you want to do is set the agenda or intention of why why you want to talk. So an easy way to talk do this is like, hey, we've been friends for X amount of years now. So I just want to clear the air, take the time to understand where you're coming from. Does that sound fair? You know, this is one of my favorite phrases. Does that sound fair? Because if you're letting them go first, it's always going to sound fair. So chances are they're going to say yes. If they're like, no, then you need new friends. They're unreasonable, man. Fourth thing that you want to do understand their perspective right so i know you're a good person we've been friends we've been good friends for a while so i love to take the time to understand where you're coming from blah 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 and be honest with me i won't get mad at you that last part so important because what you don't want to you have to and this is where you got to check out your ego not everybody's mature enough to do this it's really really hard even sometimes like for me like if you get a heated argument and stuff, like just sit back, listen, trust, just try to take it in, just understand. And one of the things that I love to do, and that leads me to my next step is don't interrupt them, listen to them, even if it sucks hearing it as well. And, you know, this is the important part because otherwise, if you say all this sort of stuff and you go back on your word, you cut them off, you yell back and it's not going to work. Take some time. And like, take some time just to just like sit back listen to them take notes or take mental notes it's kind of weird if you're like with a friend taking notes but if you want to do it go ahead but also during the conversation what this is step six is repeat back so like it sounds like from your perspective you're saying it's like xyz does that sound about right just kind of verify with them during the whole thing as well right don't accuse them of anything just like take it in take it in and once you 
once they're kind of done, just be like, hey, thanks. I appreciate you being real and honest with me and just be like, hey, I just want to give you perspective of how I'm feeling, right? So the other day I felt disappointed because I was hoping to get support when I mentioned that I was taking a course to land a digital marketing job. This means a lot to me because of X, Y, Z. And even if you don't agree with me, can you at least understand where I'm coming from, right? So it's get getting them to kind of empathize with you. And then last thing that I love saying is like, hey, thanks, blah, blah, blah. The reason why I wanted to go to you because I care about our friendship. It's not an easy career, uh, no pressure. It would mean a lot if I could get your support. If not, totally cool. And we just won't talk about it again. Sound like a plan? Well, how do you feel about that, right? And then what I like to do is always, I always hug out things. I'm a fucking, I'm a hugger, man. Hugger not. That's essentially how I de-escalate my situations in life. I think it's really important to learn the skill. And here's the biggest takeaway that I want you to walk away from. The truth is this conversation could go really well or shit the bed. But the one thing that you will absolutely find out and test is your friendship with your real friends. I've had some of my best friends at the time not want to put in the effort anymore, which is totally cool. You can't force someone to do something that they don't want to. But difficult conversations are the true strength and a true are essential for any long-term relationship. And that's the true test for any relationship. Like if you talk to married couples, platonic relationship relationship or like romantic relationships, doesn't matter. Their fights are gonna happen. It, it just happens, right? But you gotta realize that even if it does not work out, the truth is that you will probably find friends that will actually get it and who will actually support you too. So don't fret, don't worry about this, and you'll build that muscle of difficult conversations as well. All right, so I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about this approach. How would you guys listening actually handle this differently? I'd love to kind of hear from you guys. Now I'm gonna be talking about the second thing that you guys asked me, how to transition from community to hospital pharmacy without residency. So, you know, are you a community pharmacist who wants to get out of retail pharmacy and wants to start a new career, maybe in something like hospital, right? From time to time, I'll get YouTube comments about this. And recently when I was in quarantine, I was actually live streaming on YouTube and going through my comments. And I got this comment by Silly Stella. And uh, Silly Stella says, I will always respect Kevin for having the balls to quit pharmacy. And it got me really thinking, even though I got kind of burnt out from my pharmacy career, I was wondering, how are my friends from pharmacy school doing? The ones that actually went to pharmacy school with. And so quick pause. If you guys want to jump on my weekly stream, make sure to subscribe, hit the bell, make sure to like this video, and you'll get notified when I live stream every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Back to the video. And the results were really, really interesting. So what I did was actually I messaged a lot of my friends in quarantine were just like, how's life? How are things doing? And some of these people I just haven't talked to in years since pharmacy school, actually, which was about ooh, seven years ish now. Right. And so it was really interesting. So let me explain. I asked this question to one of my friends and she said, pharmacy felt soul sucking. Right. And I'll read what she said, but essentially what she's doing right now, she's a mom. And so she said, good for you. Pharmacy is soul sucking. I am trying to get into industry so I can have a better work life family balance. Mom life is hard. I don't know how our moms did it before. I thought that was really, really interesting that she said it. 
pharmacy is soul sucking. It's not the only type of, this isn't the first time I've heard it. If you go to actually like one of my favorite friends channel, RX comedy, he actually like you read the comments, you watch the skits, you'll get an idea of what pharmacy is actually like. Right. Second thing, one of my friends actually missed working the pharmacy after being a stay at home mom, which was crazy. So she said, I've been putting off since December, uh, keep on putting off going back, but I'll go back next month when I'm with Kaiser. I only work three days a week. So it's really nice. Pretty much going back just for the social aspect of coworkers. I thought I liked that stay at home uh, wife life, but being on maternity leave for so long, I found out I actually don't like it. I like work and getting out and talking to people. So that's why I decided to go full. Uh, I'll just go part time. And then what I was like, I was like, huh, kind of curious. What didn't you like about being a stay at home mom? And she replied, yes. Lack of social interaction and feeling useless, feeling lazy, not getting out of the house all day and never putting on makeup. Of course, she's a girl. Most of all, missing social coworker relationships. I love my coworkers. So you can see some people are really, really happy with the careers. And then the one that you're probably interested in, one of my friends actually successfully escaped the nine to five chains and transitioned into a hospital pharmacy. So I asked her, hey, how's the process of getting out? And she said, it felt amazing. We bought a brand new house in Mass, so we want to move back here. Originally, I asked for a transfer within CVS, and my supervisor gave me so much shit and excuses. I was like, fuck it. I gave my two weeks, sucked it up, did an overnight position, doing seven on, seven off, 12-hour shifts. I was burnt out at first, but after doing that for two years, I landed a day job at a hospital, and now I'm very happy. Work is easy and laid back right now. It was just really interesting seeing my friend's story. And the truth is, there's a lot of unhappy pharmacists. We cannot deny this. Burnout's higher than ever. And I'm one of those statistics. I got super burned out. And it was just really interesting seeing my friend's experience in pharmacy. Uh, do, pharma do pharmacists love their careers? Some of them, absolutely. But we can't ignore the fact there's a large group of community pharmacists and pharmacy staff who feel overworked, understaffed, underappreciated. If you guys worked in the pharmacy, you guys would understand, right? But the worst part is that in pharmacy, it's actually really hard to say anything, to speak out loud, because there's a fear of retaliation and losing their jobs. Corporate politics suck, and it happens, right? You'll find these pharmacists being silenced and get fired from their jobs for just having a social media account and not even talking about work. People like myself, people like RX Comedy and other people, well, that's another story. So what, let's say if you are the statistic, what kind of options does that leave you? Well, option one is suck it up. Hope things that will get better. Probably would not recommend that since I waited for 12 years and it didn't get better. Second thing, start up your own business. Third thing, transition to a new career, right? And the truth is not everyone wants the headache of running their own business. And that's something I've kind of realized as I've gotten older too is that it's a lot of responsibility it's a lot of headache people just want to clock in clock out totally cool with that right starting your business isn't easy and hoping like i said earlier hoping that things will get better is horrible because hope isn't really an exit strategy so that leaves us with option three transitioning your career and so if you're that type that wants to go into hospital this might be for you and side note too Sometimes we just want a career that fits the lifestyle that we want. So it could be hospital pharmacy. It could be a remote career in pharmacy. Anyways, let's kind of dive into it. Let's, I, I asked my friend 
a few more things that I think would be really interesting for you guys who are consider a switch to hospital pharmacy. So first things first, should you even consider a career in tra transitioning? So I asked my friend shortly after she wrote that result or wrote that answer was, I asked, what is the best part about hospital pharmacy? And this is what she said. The best part about hospital is not having to deal with customers. <laughs> I interact with a lot of nurses, physicians who trust and depend a lot on us. They take our advice and it just feels like I'm actually a pharmacist in the hospital compared to retail. That was really great. And based off my friend's experience, there's a few things I want you to take note or some of the benefits. It's like the role of being a trusted advisor. People are, are listening to you. Nurses, doctors, you're speaking with very intellectual people who are seeking advice from yourself and they trust and really take your advice into account. Second thing is solving more complex problems with the team. You know, sometimes in retail pharmacy, we just feel like, what the hell are we doing this for, right? And you have a lack of a purpose of like, and when people ask you, oh, what's the restroom code like 20 times a day? I mean, it just has you thinking like, why did I even go to pharmacy school for this, right? Do you guys feel that way? And then the third thing is, most of all, feeling of the impact to the healthcare system. Impact is the most important thing because I feel like based when I was in pharmacy, sure, there's pharmacists that want to clock in, clock out, grab the cash and run. But the difference between feeling fulfilled and unfulfilled is really a level of impact, right? When you feel like you're making a difference, when you feel like you're actually making a difference personally too in your career, not feeling capped or stuck, right? And you're being challenged. So there's so many great things about this. And here's the third thing, which you're probably all curious about. How did my friend transition into as a hospital pharmacist? And I asked my friend, how did you transition out from the retail chain to the hospital? And this is what she said. I started doing overnights. So I was able to bypass residency since they were desperate to hire anyone to fill overnights. It's much more quiet during the overnights and I had a lot of downtime. So it helped with the transition. I learned everything on the job and working hospital. There's a lot of other pharmacists working with you at the same time. So it's super easy to bounce knowledge each other. So it wasn't so bad at all. And it was really interesting. I noticed a few things based off my friend's experience. She was able to bypass residency by starting off in a position that no one wants seven on seven off overnight position. If any pharmacist has worked overnights, it's really bad for your health, but no one wants to do it. And if you can get in the mindset that, hey, this is just temporary, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door, it might be a good option for you. Second thing, she took advantage of overnight downtime to build her knowledge on the job as well, right? So she also built relationships with more seasoned pharmacists. So building up her reps, building up her authority, building up, you know, building the building blocks so that she's getting well known and that she she's seeking advice so that she can do her, her job well uh, what was also really interesting about my friend's experience was that she did also didn't need a residency to get her job and she didn't need to know everything right away she just had to be resourceful and utilize ojt on the job training right and keep in mind my friend she actually did this about i think two years ago so that's when she transitioned so it took her two years and which leads me to my last point. There's really no quick shortcut, right? To get a day job in the pharmacy without a residency. Like I said, it took two years, probably within that time, you could probably do a residency, but other side of the scale, she probably did. She didn't really take a huge pay bump 
because she was um she was getting paid a full pharmacy salary as well. Anyways, if you're curious about how to transition into a new career in pharmacy, let me know in the comments. Tell me about what areas you're curious about. I'd love to do a full interview with some of the people I reach out to, but the truth is corporate companies are not too friendly with social media, especially in, in professional settings. So it puts their job on the line. So I need to balance having, being able to protect my friends, but also getting this information out. So uh, I might do some anonymous podcasts or anonymous guest posts and stuff like that. So I think there's that. And also, if you have a question, feel free to shoot me a question there. I always try to uh, answer everyone. Just go to refugeehustle.com slash join. All right. The third thing, how to become a high ticket closer without money, without investing into a high ticket program. So you're probably wondering, I need thousands of dollars for a high ticket program because I want to be a high ticket closer, right? I got this really great question on Instagram by Tyrese. He said, recently I saw a lot of info on inbound closing. And so I'm so motivated to be the best ever. I'm a people person and I can market, but I don't have the money to buy things that are selling. I don't know where to find people to close for. If you feel like helping me start up, you'll help change my life and the people around me. And the truth is I get a lot of emails like this a lot, especially from younger folks. And my heart feels for them because people are under illusion sometimes that they need a high ticket program to do something like this. And I mean, honestly, purchasing like other high ticket programs has really gotten my foot in the door to understand high ticket program design, to under to meet cool people in the communities and stuff like that. But it's not necessary. And there's too many and there's a lot of people who think that they want to do this career, but don't know what it's actually like. So there's a few things that you, if you are con seriously considering this career, think about a few things. First thing, this is not easy money. Uh, it requires a lot of hard work and you will absolutely suck at first. Second thing, if you are closing inbound closer, you are always dependent on your client's ability for lead flow and quality, meaning like the marketing is out of your control. The third thing is that your biggest barrier will be finding the right client. I will not tell you how many times I've had to go through so many different vets, like how many different clients I went through to find the, the right one for me as well. It's almost like dating if you think about it. And no, chances are you're not going to find your high ticket client on Tinder. But the most important thing that you need to know is this is not a new industry. It's not a scam. I've met people who have done this for 30 plus years. And in fact, it's just the, the skill of consultative selling which is very different from, I would say, normal selling as well. It's sales on essentially on the higher end in the art of communicating value that aligns to your client's goals and needs and challenges. Think about it. It's really that simple. Closing is not a magical power or anything like that. It's kind of like jujitsu. It's a very set framework. You're always refining it. But when you're able to hone in on it, you're able to influence, you're able to communicate your ideas better as well. Right. So while these things are all true, it's a, I mean, there is a really good freaking reason why I quit pharmacy to do this. And it's not only because of the money, because I personally, for me, I get the freedom of location, time independence while act, uh, while impacting people's lives as well. So if you want the same things that I have as well right now, keep reading. And so if you're at this point in the video and you want to consider a career in high ticket sales, then keep watching this video. There's three things I'm going to be covering. Uh, in today's video, I'm going to be covering three things. 
how to build your skills and get good without a high ticket program. Second thing, how to find the right client. Third thing, how to calculate your earning potential with a client to see if you should go on it or not. All right, let's get into it. FYI, no affiliate links to any high ticket programs in this video. Maybe affiliate links to certain books if you want to support me. If you can't afford that, then you got bigger problems to solve as well. And the truth is, if you can't buy a book, then how are you going to sell people into a high ticket program? So let's let's go step by step and go through each of these things as well. So the first thing I want to cover is how to build your skills and get good without a high ticket program. Before you worry about how much you get paid or finding a client, you have to focus on fulfillment first, meaning you have to focus on being great. If you suck, it doesn't even matter if you can't even find a client. People like jump the gun. They're like, oh, I want to find a client right away. Well, can you fulfill a client if I presented one for you? And most likely, if you can't fulfill for your client, you're not going to be making anything. So focus on fulfillment first. And the, the key skill to any high tech program is really three things. It's skills, accountability, and mentorship, right? You must have these three, three, three things to do well in high ticket sales or any high ticket program that you're selling in uh, as well, right? First thing is first, let's cover the skills. You need to know what the hell you're doing. So this is where books come into play. They give you the fundamental breakdown of the consultative sales process, right? So I'm going to share these three books that I believe that will help you out. And this is in order of importance, by the way, the first book I would probably recommend is something like the way, uh, the way of the wolf by Jordan Belfort straight line method. I love it. Second thing is never split the difference by Chris Voss. Um, used to be a FBI hostage negotiator, but has a lot of great stuff. And the third thing is spin selling. This is a really great book for consultative type of selling as well. Again, links are below uh, in the description. But what I want you to do is purchase these books, take out your notebook, write down any nuggets that you come across upon. And eventually you're going to create something called a script. And yes, you will need a script in front of you all the time. It serves an agenda for yourself to stay on topic. And chances are, if you have a client that has a script, they may already have a script that actually works. So you want to make sure to utilize that as well, right? And not change too much if it's already working. The second thing that you need is accountability. So this is why you must build experience with a client. So a client actually holds you accountable. If you don't perform, guess what? They have the right to terminate your contract, right? And since most high ticket closer roles are, or high ticket sales roles are performance based, you don't receive payment until the deal is actually finalized, right? Until you actually collect payment that the refund period is lapsed and all that until your client gets paid as well. Now, the third thing that you need to focus on is mentorship. So this is the most important thing. And when I say mentorship, I'm not talking about online mentor. I'm talking about a real person who is in the trenches with you. Don't go on a first client by yourself. The truth is the offer must be tested. So what I would recommend how, when I was first getting started was looking at the top salespeople, reaching out to them, seeing what they're doing. How can you model them? Understand their process, right? And no, don't go up to them and just ask these questions. You need to focus on building a real relationship and to secure a mentor. You need to throw your ego out of the way. What I like, love to do is just throw them props if they're absolutely killing it. If they're hosting a training, message them. Let them know how much their training has been helping you by and what you've been implementing, what's been working, what's not been working. 
And the truth is nothing can replace experience. And so when you have someone in your corner, you can leverage their experience. I mean, there's a period and just off script for a second. I remember there was a period of time when I was about to lose my client when I wasn't performing and I went up to these online, like these other more seasoned vets out there. Right. And they guided me. They held me by my hand, took one step in front of the other, and I got better and better over time. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here talking about this, right? I wouldn't have that experience as well. So I think that's that's real that's really important. And plus, when you let's say if your offer, you know, let's say if there's a life cycle for this offer, maybe it's only it only lasts for a year or two. Guess what? You built all these great relationships where you know you can just jump on the right offer with them again and work with them over and over again. Right. All right. Second step two. So now let's assume that you have all the experience in the world. Let's kind of dive into how to find the right client. And this is tough. This is actually where most people fail because you remember what I said about building relationships with more experienced people. When you're more experienced, you can actually go to these people when you need a new client. And because you have that established working relationship with you, if you work hard, build a name for yourself, develop that authority, they will help you. And what I've realized is that a lot of the people that who have taught me, who I've worked with, they're like family to me, man. But you're new. What can you do if you're a new closer that wants experience? Well, first, you can go look for gigs on things like Upwork, job boards, look up things like high ticket sales, uh, high ticket closer, enrollment director, inbound closer. These are key terms that you want to look for. The second thing is reach out to people's program who you've bought in the past, right? This is important because chances are like for myself, I've actually bought a lot of high ticket programs in the past. And actually one of my clients was one of those people who hosted those high ticket programs as well. So that's a really great way because you're actually a customer. You understand the customer journey. So that's a really great way too to do it, especially if you bought a program in the past. Now, the third thing is cold outreach by following the S curve. So what is the S curve? The perfect client, by the way, is not all the way up here, super established. You want to get them right in the growth phase and just scale with them as well. That is the perfect client as well. In my opinion, if you start too low, they're just growing. They probably don't have a need. See, the truth is the, the true need for a client is when uh, closing solves two things. They solve conversion and scale. Those are two problems, right? You help convert and you help help their business scale because at some point, if the business owner is doing all the sales, then they can't do it anymore. And that's where we come in, right? If they suck at sales, that's a big problem too, because guess what? The, it tells me the offer is not uh, tested as well, but we'll get into that later. Also network. You can also network with other closers or agencies to help you find work as well. Like I mentioned, and like I said, it's really not easy. Why is this? Because it's a relationship game, right? You have to plant these seeds early before you actually need them as well. And you have to genuinely care about people too. Not everybody gives a fuck about people. Not everybody's good at maintaining those relationships as well. So at the end of the day, really a numbers game. So where should you start and how do you know if it's the right fit? Well, that leads me to my next point, how to calculate your earning potential with a client. So the thing that you probably want to know is, can I actually make money for this client? ethically, morally, and legally, right? And again, the reason why I say make money for this client is because you are your role is a, a revenue-based role. Your role directly impacts how much money you bring in for the company. 
And so the more money that you can make someone, the more money you make. So here's a few things that I like to figure out the type of packages or offers they are selling, right? Second thing, the number of people that are on the sales team, do they have an existing sales team force where people are actually making money? Third thing, weekly revenue. Fourth thing, weekly ad spend. So how much they are spending per week, average number of leads per week, commission percentages, cost per lead, dollar per lead. And I want you to notice a few things that I said, cost per lead, meaning how much money are they spending to acquire a lead? And most important thing that, you know, when somebody asks you, what's your close rate, that's irrelevant. Really at the end of the day, you should be tracking dollar per lead or revenue per lead. It doesn't matter how much money they are bringing in per, it doesn't matter what your close rate is. You could be closing people for a dollar, but they're spending 10 bucks to acquire, uh, to acquire that lead or cost per lead, then you're losing them money. So you want to make sure that you're bringing in more dollars in than dollars out. So notice, like I said, I didn't mention closing ratio because it doesn't really mean that much. The only ma thing that matters is if you're bringing in profit. And if you're curious about how much you can make, you're asking the wrong question already. It depends from offer offer. Think about it like this. It always depends on the commission percentage, number of leads, and the packages offered to you as well that you can sell. The biggest thing that I, I realized is that a lot of people go into this gig thinking that, oh, I'm an employee of high ticket sales. No, the truth is you're performance-based. You're running your own service-based business. You are not given a check. You earn your check when you bring in revenue for a business, when you shoot, when you kill what you eat or hunt what you, I just butchered that thing as well. Right. But that's essentially something that you need to keep in mind. And that's why high ticket sales isn't for everyone because it requires more responsibility where I see even seasoned vets fail is their lack of professionalism. They can't stay on top of things and they might be great closers in the world, but it's hard to build trust with a client if you're not on top of your crap. Right. So if you want to figure out how much you can make, uh, you need to do some math. So earning potential equals dollar per lead or revenue per lead times leads per week times commission percentage. That's the formula I use to see how much could I potentially make? Like what, how many leads am I taking per week? Oh, okay. So essentially what this formula means is how much money am I making per lead that goes into my pocket that I care about. Right. And the reason why we focus on weekly performance, because a lot can change in a week in a short amount of time, for example, lead flow for, to give you perspective, this actually happened very recently as a high, in high ticket sales, the best week I've made, it was probably like about 4k, but average week ends up being from 1500 to 3k per week. Once in a blue moon, we'll shit the bed and we'll make like, I'll have weird weeks, like where I made 50 bucks, uh, 50 bucks a week, 500 bucks a week lower digits, but this is all working about 30 hours per week. So I have some previous clients where I close and I actually receive recurring commissions as well, about three to 500 per month because they're performance based too. You know, that depends. And that was for a marketing agency that I used to close with. So the number one thing I want you guys to keep in mind is that you guys can't replace experience. Like I, in my two years or one and a half year or one year, I can't remember, but I'm, I'm almost at two years now and I've seen people come and go in this industry and I see them fail because one of three reasons, right? One, they don't stick around long enough Two, they focus way too much on making money rather than their client. And three, they're not focused on fulfillment or being great. They need to focus on mastery, right? 
So the last thing, like I said, is the most important thing because you can't just read a book. You can't just take a course and expect to be good at this, right? Greatness is built through experience and repetitions. Imagine reading a powerlifting book and thinking that you could rip a thousand pounds off the ground day one. No, it's not going to happen. You need to build your reps. You need to build your experience. So there you go. There's a high ticket sales in a nutshell of everything that you need to learn. Obviously, I couldn't cover anything. So if there's anything that you want me to cover more in detail, let me know and uh, we'll just go from there. All right. So that is the weekly hustle. Um, my voice is totally blown because this went really, really, really long. But anyways, if you guys want me to elaborate on any of these topics, please let me know. Make sure to watch the other episodes of the weekly hustle too. make sure to like, comment, subscribe. And guess what? I will see you guys next week. Motherpockers. Bye.